RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock on Benche, the top stories. Thousands of airport construction workers face mandatory COVID tests, as Hong Kong reports its lowest number of daily cases in almost a month. And the Justice Secretary weighs in to the row over BNL passports. About 3,000 construction workers building the third runway at Cheklapkok have been ordered to take COVID tests after nine of them came down with the virus. Dr. Albert Al from the Center for Health Protection said they'd been working at two construction sites on the reclaimed island. At least 60 others considered close contacts have to be quarantined. But Dr. Al said the infection risk was lowered by the fact that different groups of workers tended not to mix. Contractors of different companies, they, the workers do not mix together and they work on different areas or uh, parts of the uh, reclamation island because the island is a very, very huge area and they are divided into different zones in which different contractors work in different areas. So the possibility of missing between the, the workers of different companies in the construction sites is very minimal. Hong Kong has reported its lowest daily COVID-19 tally in nearly a month, with the Center for Health Protection reporting 28 new cases. Of these, 26 were locally acquired, six from an unknown source. But the center's Dr. Al still called on people to avoid gatherings, especially with the Lunar New Year holiday coming up. As the Chinese Lunar New Year is approaching, the general public may have more family gatherings and also uh, social functions. So it, we need to take precautions so that uh, there will not be any further large-scale transmission or uh, outbreaks in the community. Meanwhile, Queen Elizabeth Hospital has announced that a 46-year-old chronically ill patient has died from COVID-19, bringing the death toll here to 179. The Justice Secretary Theresa Cheng has hit out at the UK citizenship scheme for Hong Kongers with British national overseas status. It opens tomorrow and offers five-year working visas to all registered BNOs, followed by full citizenship a year later. Writing on her blog, Ms Cheng backed Beijing's stance that the UK had no sovereignty or right of supervision here. Earlier, Britain's foreign ministry said it was disappointed but not surprised by Beijing's decision yesterday not to recognize the BNO passport. The SAR government says travelers can no longer use BNO passports to enter or leave the city. Robert Kemp has more. Hong Kong immediately backed Beijing's stance, accusing London of violating the 1984 Sino-British Joint Declaration. However, the UK has previously said a physical BNO passport is not needed for a BNO visa, and that Hong Kong residents with BNO status can use their SAR passports and still get the BNO visa. Hong Kong government spokesman accused the UK of political and economic motives, saying it would turn a large number of Hong Kong people into what it called second-class British citizens. The BNO passport, which didn't provide UK residency, replaced the old Hong Kong British passport just before the handover. UK government offered BNO holders the path to citizenship after Beijing brought in the national security law here. Beijing says it reserves the right to take further action, suggesting further restrictions for BNO holders in future. The deputy director of social welfare Lam Katai has died. He was 59. Candice Wong reports. 
Lam Ka Tai had been found unconscious in his office a week ago last Wednesday and had reportedly been receiving intensive care treatment. The chief executive Carrie Lam, who worked with Mr Lam when she headed social welfare nearly two decades ago, expressed her utmost sorrow. She praised the care he had shown for the elderly and the disadvantaged. The chief secretary Matthew Jung also sent his condolences, praising Mr Lam's role in the creation of the old age living allowance. A team from the World Health Organization investigating the origins of the initial COVID-19 outbreak in China has visited the hospital in Wuhan, where some of the first patients officially diagnosed with the disease were treated. The BBC's Stephen McDonnell is in the city. In China, even after you've done quarantine, for the next 14 days, you're still limited in where you can go and who you can speak to. They're in a kind of post-quarantine health check bubble. That said, though, they've announced that they will be visiting the seafood market, which was linked to those early clusters, and also the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where there's been some speculation that the virus escaped from. However, these scientists have said they don't think there's much chance that that is the case. RTHK, the time is now five minutes past 11. The European Union's chief Brexit negotiator, Michel Barnier, has urged the EU to step back from a dispute with Britain about a shortage of COVID-19 vaccines. His intervention came after the EU announced yesterday it would impose controls on the Irish border using emergency clauses from the Brexit deal. Hours later, and after the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson expressed grave concern at the move, it was forced to backtrack in a late-night tweet from the President of the European Commission. The BBC's Kevin Connolly is in Brussels. Ursula von der Leyen did say that after a conversation with Boris Johnson, there would be no problem with vaccines being transported so that contractual obligations could be fulfilled. That feels to me as though it winds down a perceived threat at least, but we do need them to come out with more detail and a a more rounded way of expressing all of this. But that's the feeling, I think, of that midnight tweet. The World Health Organization has called on countries like Britain to pause their vaccination program once vulnerable groups have received their shots to ensure an equal global distribution. The WHO said 2 billion doses should be distributed around the world by the end of this year. Margaret Harris, a WHO spokeswoman, said this was morally the right thing to do. So far, of the over 40 million vaccine doses that have been administered, 95% have been administered in only 10 countries, and that's 40 high-income countries, 8 upper-middle-income countries, but in the lower-middle-income and lower-income countries, we've only seen two countries even begin. The military in Myanmar has promised to abide by the constitution and act accordingly to the law in an apparent response to fears it may have been planning a coup. On Friday, reports the Burmese military might be preparing to seize power, prompted the United Nations and Western embassies to call for all parties to respect democracy. This report from the BBC's Celia Hatton. For weeks, the generals who once ruled Myanmar fueled rumors they were preparing to take power once again, repeatedly questioning November's election results that gave a landslide victory to Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy Party. But now the military has said recent remarks by its commander-in-chief, General Minon Hlaing, were misinterpreted. Ms. Suu Kyi's party called the explanation suitable. 
public comments that do little to shed light on just how close Myanmar came to sliding back into the hands of a military regime. A Swedish nurse has won a global competition to watch the entire 60-movie program of the Gothenburg Film Festival from a lighthouse on an isolated island off the west coast of Sweden. 12,000 people applied. Lisa Enroth, who's been working on COVID-19 wards, said she hoped to enjoy being part of a totally different kind of reality for a week. Here's the BBC's Maddie Savage. The nurse usually lives in Hövde, a small city east of Gothenburg, where she's part of a local movie club. Now she'll be exposing her film-reviewing skills to the world, posting a daily video diary from the island, where she was taken to by boat early on Saturday morning. Before the event, organisers said they were searching for a genuine movie fan who was emotionally and psychologically up to the task. Maria Vester, the film festival's CEO, said it felt right to give the unique opportunity to one of the many heroes working in healthcare during the pandemic. To sports now and football, with a look ahead to the matches that matter in the English Premier League, here's the BBC's John Bennett. After suffering a shock defeat midweek, Manchester United need to bounce back quickly this weekend against one of their old rivals, Arsenal. In a fascinating title race, United are second, just one point behind Manchester City, who have a game in hand. Arsenal are out of it, way down in ninth, but after some awful results at the end of 2020, they're now back in great form, winning five of their last six games in the Premier League. They also beat United 1-0 at Old Trafford earlier this season. Leaders Manchester City are on a run of 11 wins in a row in all competitions going into the home game against bottom of the table Sheffield United, the team that beat Manchester United on Wednesday. Meanwhile, third place Leicester City is still very much in the title race going into their home game against Leeds United. And champions Liverpool are back to winning ways ahead of a game against one of the Premier League's form teams. After a run of five league games without a win, four of those without a goal... Liverpool beat Tottenham on Thursday, but their opponents this weekend, West Ham, have won their first six competitive games in a single calendar year for the first time in their history. So it should be a fascinating game. The news from RTHK.
bringing us strange love. Fix. No matter what you do. 